Good evening. Good to see everybody tonight. Glad to see you online with us there. Uh, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube there, you can find us at any one of those. Facebook, Twitter's HBC Tullahoma, YouTube's Highland Baptist Tullahoma. Uh, great resources there. Share them, heart them, like them. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Uh, be sure to subscribe there on YouTube. That way you'll always get the notification too when you click that little bell uh, when we go live. Uh, and you can watch us there on YouTube, uh, on your TVs. Uh, also, whether that's on Roku or the YouTube app uh, on your smart TVs if you have those. Uh, so I encourage you to take the time to look us up on those, share us with those. Uh, that'll help to get the word out. Uh, when you comment on those, uh, that also uh, helps with the algorithms that they have there to get that word out also. So be sure to share any prayer requests that you have tonight in the Facebook uh, link that you see there at HBC Tullahoma. That's the one we'll see for the live service. Uh, we can see the others later, but we only see that one at the live. So uh, if you need to give us a prayer request and you don't want to share it through Facebook, uh, just give us a call at the church office. Uh, you can call us at 931-455-0645. And if you need that phone live streaming number, you can also call us at that same number. We'll be glad to give that to you. Uh, let me encourage you to go to our church website, highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, it's under the info tab there that you can go and click the info tab. Uh, under it, you'll find the worship bulletin for this week has the all, all the upcoming activities. Uh, you can find the worship bulletins for the children, uh, ages three and up and seven and up. That goes along with this last Sunday's sermon. Uh, and you can share those links with anybody. You can print those off and share those as many times uh, as you want. And then also you can download the prayer list there under that info link. So I encourage you to go ahead and get that done. If you need one in person, we'll be glad to come around and give you one if you haven't got one uh, yet of those. And then also don't forget while you're on our website there at highlandbaptistchurch.com, go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab there. It's a real simple platform for your online giving. We have a lot of people who use that. Uh, a lot of our gifts come through that, and you can do that even if you're in person. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. Uh, that way it's, it just helps you. You can even set it up as a recurring gift, and if you forget, it just automatically does that for you. Uh, you can also put your offering in your envelopes and put those in the plates down here at the front or at the doors uh, as you leave. And then don't forget also, we've got our revelation charts. I think we have a few more of these around somewhere in one of the windows maybe. Uh, and then we also have uh, a couple of the numbers charts left. We'll briefly look at that again uh, tonight as we look at some numbers. Uh, but we'll see those all throughout the book of Revelation. They not only deal with the numbers in the book of Revelation, but in the whole Bible uh, because they're consistent all the way through. And so I encourage you to, to get one of those. If you're at home and you want one of those, uh, send us an email uh, at HighlandBaptistTullahoma at gmail.com uh, or at HighlandBaptistCafes.net. Or you can comment there in the Facebook comments and you can let us know there and we'll be glad to send you one of those out free of charge. If you want one of those in person, see me and we'll make sure you get one. So Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn tonight. Take your hymnals and turn to 595. Let's sing Send the Light, 595.
Let us pray that grace may everywhere abound. Send the light, send the light, and the Christ-like Spirit everywhere be found. Send the light, send the light, send the light. The blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to Hopefully you have gotten on Facebook there and you're giving us those prayer requests. I'm going to switch over there for just a moment too so that I can be able to follow along with any prayer requests that you may have. Uh, but hopefully you've gone to our website and got that downloaded. Does anybody in person need one of uh, the prayer lists? I think everybody's got one of those, so uh, we're doing good there. Make sure my volume's down. Okay, so if you have any requests, be sure to share those uh, there on Facebook. We've got several uh, that we've added to our prayer list uh, over the weekend and since last Wednesday night. Uh, one of our member, uh, uh, Jennifer Williams and her family, uh, she's got actually a couple of things going on there uh, with her grandmother who passed away, Dorothy McBride, uh, and then also her and Mike's son, uh, Gil, who was healing from a car accident. Uh, that he was in. So remember Jennifer's family and the loss of her grandmother. Uh, remember Gil, he is back home. He is uh, much better than he was, but still a long ways to go. He's been in some pain, especially, uh, they said, from the jaw, from uh, that part. Uh, that's hurting him worse, he said, than the leg was. Right. Yeah, yeah, so he's not real happy with that because you know if you wire that, that restricts your eating uh, that you can do. And so uh, do keep him in your prayers. Uh, keep that family uh, in your prayers. Amy Jackson, she did not break her ankle, but she has sprained it really bad. It was bruised really bad yesterday and swollen. Uh, so she's only been in the office part of the day today, but answering phones uh, at home. Uh, and she'll be back in the office uh, in person tomorrow. Uh, so just continue to remember her. Uh, and then Lauren Fultz has also uh, injured her ankle. Uh, they thought she might have broke it, but no uh, cast or anything that she had to have. So she's got to go back again in July to have it follow up, follow up there. So uh, I don't know what it is with the ankles there, but uh, keep, keep those two uh, in your prayers. And then we had also asked prayer for uh, Rhonda Morris on the friends and family side. She is one of our uh, CDC teachers. Uh, she uh, has cancer, and so we just want to uplift her uh, in your prayers as, as well as her, her family as she goes through this time of, of chemo and, and radiation. And uh, I don't know yet, I haven't talked with her since she went, 
uh, to find out what the course of uh, action will be, but the way that they had talked before, it would be both uh, chemo and radiation. So I uh, want to continue to remember her in prayer. Remember the, the victims of the Texas school shooting, uh, and then also Kenny and Patricia Busher. Those are our neighbors. Uh, she is back, and uh, they both had COVID. Uh, he has Parkinson's as well as some other issues. He had uh, ha surgery on his uh, wrist for carpal tunnel, uh, before they went on their trip to Alaska. Uh, while he was on the trip to Alaska, they both had COVID or tested positive for COVID, uh, but he got infection a second time now in one of the wrists and uh, he went to a shower. He said it went up here to, it made a red line up halfway up his arm. Uh, later that evening, it was up to his elbow and then before he knew it, it was up to his shoulder. Uh, and it was moving fairly quickly. And so they got him into the hospital in Juneau, got some treatments for him with uh, antibiotics, uh, but he, they finally got him moved to Seattle, Washington. Uh, and then Sunday night, uh, his nephew was able to fly there and pick him up and bring him back home. So he is back home, but has a long ways to go uh, with the healing there uh, from his wrists and stuff. And so keep him in your prayers. And then Easton Haley is Brian Tate's great nephew. He's having spinal surgery. Uh, tomorrow. So remember uh, that family in your prayers. Uh, those are the ones that I wanted to make sure that we mentioned. You can see some others uh, that are there on the prayer list. Uh, any others that we need to mention in particular or somebody we may need to add? Okay, I don't see any in person. I'm not seeing any on Facebook. Okay. All right, well then let's go to the Lord in prayer for these requests and uh, all the other things that may be on your hearts uh, also. And so let's just pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much, Lord, for your presence with us. Thank you for being here tonight uh, as we are joining together to come together in prayer on the behalf of many people who are on our prayer list, as well as other needs that may be on our hearts, uh, as well as the hearts of, of each one of these that are on this list. So, Father, be with their families, be with their caregivers, be with the doctors and nurses who are taking care of each one of these individuals. Give them wisdom and discernment, but we know you're the great physician. And so we come in prayer on behalf of each one of these and on behalf of those who are gathered here tonight uh, who may have requests themselves that you would divinely intervene and show your power and your glory and your majesty in a powerful way uh, to bring about that healing for each one of these, that it might bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, as we come before you in prayer, that's indeed what we want to do. We want to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. We know that Jesus is our Savior. We thank you for loving us and sending him to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace that you constantly are showering us with and showing towards us. And Father, we just pray that you would forgive us of our sins, uh, cleanse us, Lord, from all of our unrighteousness, hear our prayers, and answer from on high in a powerful way. Lord, we expectantly look forward to the great and mighty things that you're going to do in and through our lives, in and through this church, and in and through each person that we're uplifting to you in prayer. And so we ask, Lord, for you to wrap your loving arms around these individuals. Let them know that you are with them. Some of these, Lord, may not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so we pray that the situations and circumstances and trials that they may be going through would be used to draw them to the place of trusting in Jesus. Uh, others, Lord, who have already done that, but uh, Lord, maybe they're struggling through these times and maybe even wondering, where are you, God? 
So, Father, I pray that you will let them know that you are there, that you will show yourself faithful and powerful as you bring that healing uh, into their lives. And, Father, we just pray that uh, you will be glorified and honored, that we will testify of the great and mighty things that you have done in these people's lives as well as our own lives as you answer these prayers. Father, we pray uh, for our church. We pray for our youth group who is uh, on a trip this week uh, for their youth uh, week. Father, we pray that you will be with them, uh, help them to grow uh, in their walk with you there as they're studying your word, as they're spending time in fellowship with one another, draw them closer uh, to each other, but more importantly, close to you, provide for their safety uh, in traveling back later this week. And Father, we just pray that you will help them to be uh, have a great week this week and, and uh, Lord, even though it may be, uh, help them to stay on that mountaintop experience uh, that they'll experience this week. Father, we pray that uh, you will be with us as we go through your word tonight uh, in the book of Revelation and study about these two witnesses. Help us, Lord, to also realize that before these two witnesses ever come, we are to be your faithful witnesses. So help us, Lord, to do that. Help us to declare to the world around us uh, of your saving grace and your mercy uh, and to share with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ while we have that time before you call us home. Lord, thank you for all you're doing, and we ask your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do you think it's okay to share Jennifer's? Okay. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I was okay to share this request. Uh, Jonathan has Jennifer at the emergency room right now uh, with kidney stones, uh, Jennifer Sight. So remember uh, them in your prayers as she has kidney stones. I forgot to mention that earlier and just wanted to make sure I had permission to share that. Uh, so keep, the, keep them in your prayers. Take your Bibles, if you will, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 11. Uh, that's where we're at tonight, looking at these two witnesses. Uh, if you have your uh, charts there uh, for your prophecy charts, uh, you'll notice that we finished the letters to the seven churches. We finished the section of the seven seals. We are in this part about the seven trumpets. Uh, and in this part of the seven trumpets here, we're kind of uh, in an interlude, if you will. You'll notice between point number six and point number seven, there is the angel and the little book, and then there is the two witnesses. And so after we finish this part about the two witnesses, we'll go back to pick up with the seventh trumpet, uh, the, seventh, the third woe uh, that we'll see in those three woes of the last trumpets. Uh, then we'll come to another interlude time, another parenthetical section before we get into uh, the seven bowls and then finally get to the point of the thousand year reign, the great white throne judgment and heaven and hell. And so don't forget that as, uh, don't know if I brought mine up here with me, I thought I had, but I may not have, uh, your numbers chart uh, that you have. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that very briefly here in just a moment when we get into the text. Uh, coach Vince Lombardi, uh, who was the coach of the Green Bay Packers years ago, was once erroneously quoted uh, one time as saying, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Now, that's not exactly what Vince Lombardi said. Actually, what he said is, winning isn't everything, but wanting to win is. 
And there's a big difference in that. Even though if he had said the original statement, uh, that's not altogether false. I don't believe in uh, believe that in athletics winning is everything, uh, nor that I, do I believe that winning is the only thing, nor do I believe that in a time of war and conflict that statement is true. Uh, if you remember General Douglas MacArthur, uh, he was correct when he said in war there is no substitute for victory. Uh, we want to be on the winning side. And chapter 11 brings us to the middle of a disastrous war, if you will, between the forces of good and evil, between God himself and the devil incarnate. And it's that time known as the Great Tribulation. Uh, we talked about this before when I shared with you the, the section there on Daniel and his 70 weeks. We alluded to that some. Uh, we've already talked about where we are kind of. We're in that middle section of the, of the seven years. So we're about three and a half years into this time of the Great Tribulation. Uh, this chapter, though, as we've said before, is a parenthetical preview of how ultimately everything is going to turn out. And so all the time as you're thinking about reading through the book of Revelation and you're reading through seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, uh, seven bowls, you're, you're going to read these things um, uh, and, and then you're going to come to these parts that like, where did this come from? And typically those are those parenthesis sections, those parenthetical sections where he takes a step back, if you will, from the prophecy that he's been prophesying and he gives you the bigger picture. Uh, kind of like when you're flying in the airplane, it's one thing to see uh, the point of view when you're sitting in the airplane and it's out on the tarmac. It's a whole different view when you're up there above the clouds. And that's what John is giving us here, God is giving us through John here, is that 30,000 view foot view, uh, if you will, uh, because this chapter in chapter 11 is not all is written not only to encourage us and to assure us that victory in the future is certain, but it's also to remind us that victory in the present is secure. That you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior right now, you already have the victory in your life. You already are living in that victory. That if anything was to happen to you right now, this moment, if you know Christ, to be absent in the body is to be present with Christ. So the first thing I want you to see from this chapter in verse 1 and verse 2 is the temple of God's worship. The temple of God's worship. So when you read verse 1 and verse 2, we're actually just going to start with, with verse 1. It says, Then I was given, John was, a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. So immediately when you start off in chapter 11, you're confronted with this question. Is this a literal temple to be built in a literal city for a literal people or as some things that we come across in the book of Revelation, uh, is it symbolic? Uh, remember that at the time John wrote this, there was no temple because he's writing this uh, after uh, Herod's temple has been destroyed. It was destroyed in A.D. 70. And according to the word of God, at least three temples had been built in Jerusalem. 
If you remember back in the Old Testament, there was the one, remember back in the, way back in the Old Testament, they had a tabernacle. That was a tent that they used and moved from one place to another as they were traveling through the wilderness. And even when they first came into the promised land, they moved it around a few different places. They had it at Shechem at once, they had it at Bethel at another time, and finally it wound up in Jerusalem. And that's where they built the physical building of the temple. And so uh, that was, uh, there was Solomon's temple that they built there in 1 Kings chapter 8. You'll know that it was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in 583 B.C. There was also Zerubbabel's temple uh, that's described. Remember when Ezra, in Ezra, when Ezra and, and Nehemiah came back and they rebuilt the temple. That's the second temple. That's Zerubbabel's temple. And it was destroyed by Antichonus, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes in 168 B.C. And then there was Herod's temple. Herod's temple was the biggest of those, wasn't in all the glory and splendor that Solomon's was, uh, but it was the biggest uh, that was built, uh, and, and I wish I should have done this, and I'll maybe try to do this the next time when we come back next week to show you those images. I've showed those before when we went through our study of the Old Testament, uh, briefly through the Old Testament, seeing the archaeological evidence there. They're different in size. They keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, Herod's temple is the one that's referred to by Jesus in John chapter 2, verse 20. But it was destroyed by Titus uh, in A.D. 70. So what we're reading here, we're told that there's yet to be a fourth temple to be built in the holy city, which always refers in the word of God to the city of Jerusalem. So when you hear the holy city is always talking about Jerusalem. Now, there are some who try to spiritualize uh, these verses. They say that the temple here refers to the church, uh, and it's just a symbol of the New Testament church. Uh, there are others who believe that it simply refers to all those believers on the earth alive at this time. And so it's legitimate for us to ask as we come to this passage, is there a reason to believe that there's going to be a literal temple rebuilt once again in the holy city of Jerusalem? And I believe that there is. Uh, listen to these verses uh, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. Daniel 9 verse 27 says this, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Now this is talking about the Antichrist. That's the he uh, that he's talking about here. He'll make a strong covenant with many for one week. We've already discussed that before about a week being uh, the years there, seven days in a week, seven years. And for half of the week, which is three and a half years uh, or three and a half days, as we would see in a literal week, uh, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end, end is poured out on the desolator. Now, Jesus refers to that prophecy himself in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 and verse 16. So what Jesus is saying is that prophecy had not been fulfilled before his coming. He's talking about it as something that is yet to be fulfilled out in the future. Here's what he said in Matthew 24, verse 15 and 16. Matthew 24 and 25 uh, are a lot of what Jesus tells us about the future events and things that are going to happen. So he says in verse 15 of Matthew 24, So when you see 
What? The abomination of desolation, same terminology that Daniel was using, using spoken of, and he very specifically says by Daniel, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Verse 16 says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Again, go back to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. Verse 11 and verse 12 and 13. It says, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, that's the time of the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, there shall be 1,290 days. Now we went through all of Daniel 12 there when we talked about the 70 uh, weeks there of Daniel and, and looked at some of this. But this 1,290 days has specifically to do with the tribulation time. He says, blessed is he, in verse 12, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335th days, but you go, but go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So that's what Daniel says. He says, when the regular burnt offering is taken away, the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Well, the apostle Paul over in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, who opposes, talking about the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. He's talking about a future event. That's the main important thing to see there from Paul. That's the important thing to see there from Daniel. Daniel was talking about a future event. Paul says, yes, that's still out future beyond where I'm at in my present time. And so when you put all those verses together, here's what you find. There's going to be a world ruler who's going to arise. We know him as the Antichrist. He's going to allow the Jews to establish a magnificent temple somewhere in the city of Jerusalem, uh, the present-day uh, Dome of the Rock uh, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. You always see that uh, gold uh, shape on the mosque there on top of the mount uh, there. Uh, that is where uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is, uh, and, and it stands somewhere close to uh, the, 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 pre the original site of the temple and the place even where Jews believe that Abraham offered Isaac up on Mount Moriah. So that temple mound that you see is the top of Mount Moriah. Uh, you can actually take some tours through tunnels that go along the bottom of the wall because as, as generations and decades and centuries have gone on and destruction has happened, the piles of rubble would be built upon and would be built upon and would be built upon. You can actually go down through these tunnels and walk on roads that were Roman roads that were built by the Romans. And then you come to the end of the tunnel and it's like it just ends. Well, something happened there. There was an uprising actually that happened in history at that point. The Romans then had to go and fight battles to, to get people uh, back under control. They never finished the roads uh, that they were building around the base. But you see, the, the, it's un just unbelievable to see the stones uh, stones that are uh, that are from one column of our sanctuary here to a to another column that long from one another and, and from the floor about this tall up huge it's like how in the world did they move these things uh, because even if you read the description in the old testament when they built the temple they built and chiseled those rocks outside so that no sound was made of chiseling those rocks when they were in the in the temple uh, grounds there where they were building it 
It's just amazing to see. And so you can actually get to what is what they believe is the closest place besides the Al-Aqsa Mosque. The Al-Aqsa Mosque is on top of rubble, this on top of rubble, this on top of rubble. But in these tunnels, there's actually a place there that there are Jews who are gathered there praying uh, all throughout the day, 24-7, 365 days a year. They're praying there at this one place that they believe is the closest place to the actual rock there where uh, Abraham was to offer Isaac on the altar. Some say that that's where the altar is going to be built, or this, this temple is going to be built. Maybe it will be. But at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, that seven-year period known at, in the Old Testament as Jacob's Trouble, the Antichrist is going to make a treaty, if you will, with the children of Israel. Now you think about history and where we are today. There's been peace treaty after peace treaty after peace treaty that's been signed. And, and this one is not going to be a whole lot different other than uh, this one is supposed to be uh, the end-all of end-all peace treaties, if you will, supposedly. Uh, and so he's going to offer this treaty with the children of Israel. He's going to allow them to rebuild the temple uh, to perhaps even reinstitute their priestly sacrifices. And he's going to give them his protections and his approval for the first three and a half years. That's as long as it's going to last. And the Jews are going to readily accept this world ruler and join hands with him for basically three reasons. First of all, politically, they see a chance to restore their nation to prominence and to power. And then spiritually, because he will let them rebuild their sacred temple, which is so precious to them and central to their religion. But also financially, uh, they will accept him because it's going to mean money in their pockets. And so all of this is going to take place during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Because you read in verse 2, notice what verse 2 says, But do not measure, he says, the court outside the temple... If you remember in the description of the Old Testament, the court outside the temple was the Gentile court. Uh, he said, leave that out, for it is given over to who? The nations, who are the Gentiles. And they, here's the key, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. For 42 months. Uh, that's the same figure as 1260 days uh, because if you remember the biblical years are 360 days not our roman calendar years of 365 days and then a leap year that we throw in every four years their years were based on 360 days in a year that's exactly three and a half years. So for 42 months, they're going to trample the city underfoot. So during this time, the city of Jerusalem is going to be under Gentile domination, much as it is today. Now, although Israel maintains sovereignty over the city of, of Jerusalem, in, in many ways today, even it's an international city that's dominated in no small part by the Arab world. Uh, day after day in, the, in this holy city that is so precious to the heart of God, uh, you can hear the, the, the droning of the Muslim prayers over loudspeakers several times uh, a day. Uh, and, and there's always skirmishes that are going on between the Israelis uh, and, and the Muslims with the Al-Aqsa Mosque on the, on the Temple Mound there. Uh, 
And so that's why you read in verse 2 that there's going to be a separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this is simply God's way of saying that during this, this time of the, of the great tribulation here of this part, he's going to continuously be separating those who love God from those who don't love God. He's going to be making a difference, a distinction between the two. But when you come to the end of this three-and-a-half-year period, the, the Antichrist at the end of the first three and a half years, he's going to break this treaty with Israel. Uh, he's going to enter into the Holy of Holies. He's going to desecrate the temple of God, defile the worship of God, deny the word of God, and claim himself to be God and demand the worship of all. That's why Isaiah refers to this covenant that Israel will make with the Antichrist as a covenant of death. Isaiah 28 verse 15 says, Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have an agreement when the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge and in falsehood we have taken shelter. And so that's the kind of covenant of death that they make during this time. During this time of the rebuilding of the temple and the rejuvenation of God's people, there's going to be though two spirit-appointed, God-appointed prophets who are going to come and preach and prophesy concerning Jesus Christ and the judgment that's about to come. So let's look at the testimony, the testimony of God's witnesses. Now again, just like with the temple, uh, there are people who try to spiritualize that aspect. There are people who try to symbolize and spiritualize these two men, or these two witnesses. Some say they represent the law and grace. Some say they represent the Old Testament and the New Testament. But as you go along, you're going to see that they are actual real people. They are prophets and preachers who heard, who handled, uh, and, and hated, were hated by a sinful, rebellious world. So notice their depiction, the picture of them in verse 3. He says, and I will grant authority during this time of the, the end of this first three and a half years when they're trampling the city. I'm going to grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for how long? There's that number again, 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. So we're told that they are witnesses. Now from that Greek word is where we get our English word martyr from. It's martyreo. Uh, originally, a martyr was a witness. Before it ever became somebody who died for their faith in Christ, it originally just meant that this person, that it was a person who was a witness. It was simply somebody who would give a witness or a testimony to that which was true. But so many early Christians died for their witness of the truth, to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so much so that this word martyr became a, a equivalent with someone who is killed. For their faith. So these are witnesses who, who testified to the truth of God. But these witnesses, they're also going to prophesy. That is, they are foretellers of judgment, foretellers of Jesus. And their message is a message of repentance. Because notice how they're dressed. How are they dressed? In sackcloth. 
Sackcloth are the garments of repentance. Uh, that was the garment that a prophet uh, would wear when he was preaching about repentance to a rebellious nation. So for three and a half years, these witnesses, these two witnesses' messages repent because Jesus and judgment are surely coming. But their message falls on deaf ears, as we're going to see, and they're even hated for preaching the truth. Uh, there are two witnesses. Now, if you notice back to your numbers, two uh, is, the, is the number of testimony, the, the witness in the word of God. Uh, often in the scriptures, God would send his messengers two by two. Uh, he sent Moses and Aaron. He sent Joshua and Caleb. He sent Peter and John. There was Paul and Silas when he sent out the 12 disciples. You remember how he sent them out? Two by two. Uh, when he sent out the 70, he sent them out two by two. So there are two witnesses here to confirm the testimony of the truth. You always had to have two witnesses when you were testifying about something, confirming something. So that's why there are two witnesses. So that question is raised, who are these witnesses. Well, we're not told directly who they are. I myself am convinced uh, that, that we know the, the identity of these two witnesses. One of my estimation is none other than Elijah uh, come from heaven. Uh, the coming of Elijah is even prophesied in the Old Testament. If you go back to Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5 and verse 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, we, we know that also referencing, meaning uh, John the Baptist, who would come as a foreteller for Jesus. But notice there also that it says, uh, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's talking about the final days. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So when the Jewish people, uh, when the Jewish people celebrate Passover... One of the things they do in that is that a young child is sent to the door to see if Elijah has come yet. Uh, I believe the other figure uh, of, of, the, of the messengers here is to be that of Moses. Moses had already appeared once with Elijah. When did he do that? The Mount of Transfiguration. So you remember that. So he's already appeared once before. Furthermore, it was Moses who was able to turn the water into blood back in Egypt, as we're going to read about these witnesses in verse 6. But, but, but regardless of who this second person is, suffice it to say they're both fearless preachers of the Word of God calling on a lost world to repent and to be saved. That's the depiction, the picture of them. Notice their description of them personally here in verse 4. Verse 4 says, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands uh, that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, that's a reference directly back to Zechariah chapter 4. So know this, every time we're reading through Revelation, you're always going to go back to a supporting text somewhere in the Old Testament, usually, or something Jesus said himself to, to testify the truth of the validity of the prophecy that's been given. And so here, nonetheless, we go back to Zechariah chapter 4. There we're told of two olive trees who represented two leaders in that day, the political leader, Joshua, and the religious leader, Zerubbabel. Those two men were ordained by God to speak to his people who were then in captivity and to reveal to them, to the people, to the nation that God was going to free them from the Babylonian captivity. Uh, 
uh, among them uh, and allow them to go back to their homeland and to rebuild the, the temple. Uh, this is a symbolic day uh, of, of simply referring to these uh, two anointed preachers that God has sent. But the symbolism goes even deeper. They are referred to as lampstands. Lampstands. That refers to their function. Uh, that, that as preachers, as witnesses, they were to be beacons of light in a dark world. They're to be preaching the light of the world uh, who is the Savior from the light of the Lord, uh, which is the Scripture, to a world that is lost in darkness. But notice they're not only lampstands. He refers to them as olive trees. Now, what do you get from olive trees? Olive oil. And olive oil is what they used for the lamps. Uh, and so that is referring to, when it's talking about the olive trees, is referring to their unction. And what do we mean by that? Well, lampstands were lighted and fueled by the oil. The oil came from the olive tree. And oil in the Bible is representative of who? The Holy Spirit. And so what it's saying there is that they are filled with the power of God's Spirit. They are preaching and proclaiming from the unction from within, not from themselves, not saying their own words. Uh, they are speaking and preaching from the unction from within, uh, not from their intellect, not from their education, not from their brilliance or their eloquence. Uh, you, we don't discount any of those characteristics of somebody who preaches God's word. It's wonderful if somebody has those characteristics. But the most important characteristic of those who proclaim God's word is that they are anointed with the spirit of God. That was the secret to Paul's preaching. If you remember, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So that's why it's talking about unction here. It's talking about the Spirit of God within these two witnesses. Paul also went on to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, he said, Because our gospel came to you not only... In word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And that's what kind of witnesses these two are. They are filled with the power and the Spirit of God as they proclaim the Word of God, the truth of God to His people. Then notice also these two witnesses, their deliverance. Verse 5 says, and if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes, their enemies. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. These messengers are invincible. They're indestructible to harm, impossible to kill. Sticks and stones can't break their bones and words can never hurt them. Now, later on, they are killed. But notice carefully that they're not killed uh, until what verse 7 tells us, until they have finished their testimony. They can't be finished by man until God is finished with them. So I believe that with all my heart, th those of us who are children of God, even uh, preachers of God, are absolutely immortal, invincible until God is finished with us. When God is finished with us, it's time for us to go home to be with him. 
And that could be at any moment at any day. So make the most of the moments and the days that you have. You remember on one occasion, Jesus was preaching to the Jews and they got so angry that in John chapter 8, verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, finally, they did crucify the Lord Jesus, but it wasn't until he himself laid down his own life for them and and said, even from the cross, it is finished in John 1930. Uh, There were many attempts, you remember, on Paul's life. Uh, They must have thought that Paul had had the nine lives of a cat (laughs) because they they, they tried to kill him. Many times he was left for dead, Uh, but finally they did behead him. But it wasn't until he said, I have run my race, I have finished my course. Know this, that man can never finish God's children until God is finished with them first. Notice these two witnesses' dominance, their dominance in verse 6. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. That's dominance there. I mean, think about it. We're going through some kind of drought periods right now and extreme heat. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I was to wake up today and and it's 100 degrees like it is today, I'd be praying, Lord, I certainly don't want to go to hell. (laughs) It's going to be much hotter there. (laughs) This is enough heat. Their power, though, was amazing. They had power over the weather. They could shut off the rain just like we shut off a spigot. They had power over the water. They could turn it to red blood. That's reminiscent back to Moses uh, turning the water to blood. Uh, They had power over the world. They could make people sick at a moment's notice. These were their weapons, drought, death, and disease. And the world was literally at their mercy. But notice in verse 7, their death. Verse 6 actually goes on, had went on to say there that they have power over the waters, they have the plagues. Uh, but then verse 7 says, And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. So this is the first that you read in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7 here. It's the first time that you read of the 36 references to the beast that we find in the book of Revelation. This beast is the Antichrist. He's, if you will, Satan's superman who rises up and does what no one else can do. He kills God's mighty messengers. And then he dumps them disgracefully into the streets of the holy city, which is now described as the horrible city. Notice verse 8. Their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, that's Jerusalem, that symbolically is called Sodom. So think about that. You're calling the holy city that he referred to previously in another verse, you're calling it now Sodom. Uh, that's, that's a derogatory term there because you know what happened to Sodom and all the, the sin that was going on there. And then they're called Egypt also uh, where their Lord was crucified. Uh, so notice here uh, that, that it's called Sodom. It's a place of vice. Uh, 
It's also a place of vanity. That's why it's called Egypt. It's a place of violence. That's why it's called uh, where their Lord was crucified. And their corpses become a public spectacle, not only in Jerusalem, but for the whole world. So notice what uh, verse 9 goes on to say. It says, For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. So if you just take that one verse there and stop right there for a moment, up until 1935, biblical scholars, some biblical scholars, not all, but some ridiculed this verse as saying, once again, it was impossible for the Bible to be true. How could people, they said, of all nations and all tribes view dead bodies on a street in Jerusalem? But since 1935 and the invention of the television, and now for us today, the internet, that's become a reality. We can see right now, this moment, what's happening in Jerusalem. If you just want to search it on the internet, you can see live webcams, what's going on in Jerusalem. It's a reality for us today. In that day, these corpses are going to be the gossip of the world. It's going to be the headlines all across the world. Because these men have been preaching the truth of God's word. Uh, they, they had at their disposal uh, those powers that they had. And, and people have been falling dead because of that who've tried to come against them. And now they're dead. This man, this antichrist, this superhuman of Satan has, has arisen and he's killed them. And the headlines go around the world. God's witnesses dead. This beast, the Satan's superhuman, is going to become the champion of the world. He'll become the hero uh, in the eye of a sick and sinful and wicked world. This world will be at its peak in its hatred for God and good. And notice, it's almost like the devil always tries to counterfeit what happens with, with Jesus. Hell is going to have a holiday. There's going to be celebration in the streets because God's mighty messengers are dead. Notice the beginning of verse 10. So they're not going to let them be buried, verse 9 said. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. And make merry and exchange presents. When do we exchange presents? Christmas, which we celebrate what? The birth of Christ. Here they're exchanging gifts to celebrate the death of God's two witnesses. And so uh, that's what we see uh, here in the beginning part. This new holiday is going to come into effect, kind of like a, a satanic Christmas, if you will. People are going to be sending gifts to one another over the death of these two men. It, it's so ironic today that we give gifts because of, uh, of the birth of God's Messiah. In that day, they're going to give gifts because of the death of God's messengers. So why were these men so hated? Well, look at the end of verse 10. Because... These two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. They were hated simply because they were preaching Jesus and judgment, simply because they were preaching the truth of God's world. The world is no friend of grace. This world didn't have room for Jesus 2,000 years ago. It doesn't have room for Jesus today, and it won't have any room for Jesus tomorrow. 
If you take a stand for Jesus, uh, you'd either, you better duck or pucker up, one of the two, because either people are going to hit you or they're going to kiss you. They're either going to love you or they're going to hate you. And as a matter of fact, most of this world will hate you because Jesus said in John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So it looks as in the passages here, in the story of what's happening in the prophecy, it looks as if once again, God and good are on the short end of the stick. It looks as if wrong is up and right is down. It looks as if right is is on the scaffold and wrong is on the throne, but the story isn't quite over yet. I want you to see finally the triumph of God's work in verse 11 and verse 13. God has the final say, and God has the last laugh. The world's going to think that... We have finally gotten rid of this God that those Christians have been talking about all this time. We finally got rid of his, his, his witnesses. See, he doesn't have any power. If he had power, he would have kept them alive. The world thinks we've got rid of God once and for all. They throw a party that will make Hollywood proud. But God crashes their party. Notice the miraculous resurrection. Three and a half days, they've been celebrating in the streets. They've been passing gifts to one another. They've been drinking it up and living it up. But verse 11 says, but after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Whoo! What a scene. That just sends chills over me. I mean, think of the picture here. Here are two bloated bodies lying in the street. All the media is there. Dignitaries have been flown in from all over the world. People are having their pictures probably even made with these rotting corpses. They're dancing in the streets and giving gifts to one another, partying in perversion. But all of a sudden, these two dead corpses begin to cough. And they begin to wheeze and their limbs begin to move and that chalky color of death is replaced by the fleshly color of life. And they stand on their feet in full view of the entire world. Remember the media is there. Verse 11. No wonder they're afraid. I thought somebody was dead and came back to life. It scared me too. The, The zombie apocalypse. Heard a story one time about a man who worked on a, at a mill until midnight, and rather than walking the short way home, he always that went through the cemetery. Out of fear, he always walked the long way home. Well, one night he got out of work, and he was so tired, he just said, "I'm, I'm just going to have to have courage and take the short way home through the cemetery." But unfortunately, someone had left a freshly dug grave open the day before, and he walked right in to the open grave. Well, he begins to frantically try to dig and claw his way out, scrape and struggle, trying to get out, but he couldn't, and he couldn't do it. But unbeknownst to him, a drunk had fallen in a little while before and fallen in that same grave. Well, after this man's been trying to frantically get out of there, uh, out of utter exhaustion, he says, he sits down and he says to himself, there's just no way I can get out of here. And well, about that time, all of a sudden this drunk man's arm reaches out and touches him. And he says, you can't get out of here, but he did. (laughs) I remember Wendy Bagwell, I think, used to tell that story. If you know Wendy Bagwell, that's a long time ago. 
He did. What a sight that's going to be. The miraculous resurrection. But notice also the miraculous rapture. Notice verse 12. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, saying to those two witnesses, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. Wow. I want you to take your Bibles. This isn't on the screen, but if you're at home, take your Bible. Turn back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Notice what happened there. I'll read it to you again. You can see this on the screen in verse 12. The loud voice from heaven said, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. Same words, verse 1 of chapter 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. The miraculous rapture. Think about what happens to these two individuals. The eyes of a stunned world see God's mighty messengers caught up in a cloud, raptured away forever to be with the Lord. Now, this is not the first resurrection nor the first rapture to ever take place. Enoch and Elijah uh, were raptured. Lazarus and Jesus were raised from the dead. Uh, But this is the only time in human history where human eyes actually get to see a resurrection and the rapture at the same time. Uh, Those who have denied the possibility of a resurrection or rapture, they're going to get to see both. Notice also the miraculous retribution in verse 13. It says, and at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. So notice here, the preservation of God's witnesses is followed by the persecution of the devil's witnesses, almost as an exclamation point to the power of God. An earthquake happens, 7,000 people are instantly killed in a mighty earthquake. You heard of the earthquake that happened in Afghanistan. This is going to be way mightier. 7,000 at one fell swoop, almost like an exclamation point on the resurrection and the rapture of these two witnesses. But notice the miraculous reaction in verse 13. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now don't get the idea that these people were saved. They weren't moved by faith. They were just moved by fear. But notice that they end by glorifying the God of heaven. The point for us to see is when the smoke is cleared and all is said and done at the end of the ages, God is going to get the glory to himself, whether we give it to him here or he gets it then. What this chapter is simply saying is this, in the end, God wins. Sin cannot win. God cannot fail. He will prevail. One day, the glory of the Lord will fill this earth. There's only one message for this book. In the end, Jesus wins. My hope is when that time comes and the issue is settled, is that you'll be found on the winning side. Where are you tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word and your truth tonight. Thank you for the glory and the splendor of being able to look into what is going to happen in the future yet. 
And Lord, we may be even asking ourselves tonight, what does all this have to do with me? I already know that I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I already know that I'm going to be in heaven with him. Well, Lord, we know that there are people around us who are not ready. And so, Father, I pray that if there are any of those who are watching tonight who have seen the destruction and the, the judgment that is coming in this passage, and, and yet verse 14 tells us this is the second woe that has ended, we've still got a third woe to go. There's still more judgment to come. And so, Father, I pray that there would be those who would hear that message that, yes, there is judgment, but, yes, right now there is still hope that we could trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior before it's too late. Father, I pray that there will be those who will call out to God and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on that cross. I believe he was buried in the tomb and rose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray that if they believe that in their heart and they profess that with their lips, that they would know that your word tells them they are saved. And Father, I pray that they'll begin to faithfully follow you and to come through for believers' baptism and to publicly profess that faith in Christ. But many of us who are here tonight and who are watching online, we already know Christ. So what's the point for us? Lord, help us to realize that the point for us is we don't have any time to waste. Death could come for any of us at any moment, not until you're finished with us, but none of us knows when that is. None of us knows when you're done with us here on this earth. And when you're done with us, just like these two witnesses, you'll call us home to be with you. And Father, I pray that we will make the most of every opportunity we have. We'll love people, show people the love of Christ, share with them the words of the gospel of the love of Christ. And Father, I pray that you will use us to bring glory to your name now, even before then. And Father, we just pray for your glory and your splendor to be made known now. Help us, Lord, to show others and to tell others while we still have time. Lead us, Lord. Guide us. And help us to be faithful in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much if you're at home for joining us there. Uh, be sure to come back and join us in person, if you will, uh, this Sunday, 915 for Sunday school, 1030 for worship. You can join us there again online on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, our phone live streaming. Uh, but so, so glad to have you with us tonight. So glad to be back in person uh, this week. I recorded a couple of intro and outro last week. You got to hear Mark Clifton. Hope you enjoyed uh, that message from last week, too. We'll be sharing a little bit later in July uh, about some of the things that happened at the convention, some of the resolutions that were made. Uh, we'll share some of that then. Uh, but uh, any prayer requests that you saw? Okay. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you this coming Sunday. You have a blessed week.